Welcome to the Grace Life Fellowship Podcast. On today's episode, we will be sharing with you the third part of our series, The Gift of Christmas. For this final part, you get to hear from both pastors Frank and Tim as they share together their message, Jesus, Our Love. We hope you enjoy it. Here's Pastor Frank. phrase, of course, is, is. We don't think about that word very much, but it is a universal word. It's found in every language on the planet. It's a hugely important word. When I started in seminary, my very first Greek class, the very first word we learned was eimi, which is the Greek word for is. It's the word that is used for state of being, nature of existence. And the idea behind the word is that what is about whatever it is is, is the way it is, and you're not going to change it. I can say to you this morning, it is cold outside. Baby, it's cold outside. Baby, it's cold outside. Baby, it's cold. Yeah. We haven't done this for a while. No, I don't want to sing. I'm done. I'm not staying. All versions of the song. The non-politically correct song. Let's move on. You're not going to change the fact that it's cold. You're going to put on a sweater. You know, you, I ought to be high up on your prayer list. I've been dealing with this for some time. How many long is this? 21 years. 21 years. It is. Uh, we could say he is handsome. You ever hear that? Not much. Oh. <laughs> I share that word with you. I think we better pray harder about where this is going this morning. Because in the New Testament, that word is used of God. Uh, God is holy. God is spirit. And the one we want to focus on today, God is love. I want you to think about that. Especially what we just said. It's the state of being. It's the very nature of his existence. It's that part of him that is never going to change. He is love. And because he is love, he does what he is, which means he loves. And that means he loves because of who he is. Are you ready for this? Not because of who you are. 
Now let's put the car in park, think about that. Because we like to think that if I'm gonna be good, he will love me. But what's the problem with that? How often are we good? How often are you good? Huh? Uh, <laughs> and, and if it was dependent on, on us, then, then he might love us one day and might not love us the next. He, good night, he might love us one minute and might not the next. But he loves because of who he is, not because of who you are. That means he's going to love you. No matter what, can't change it. This is profound. This is, this is very, very profound. I, I don't ever want to treat it as commonplace. It is the gospel. God loves us. I've got people in my office all the time that say things like this. I just know after what I did, God could never love me again. <clears throat> With all the love I can muster, shut up. He loves. I'll never, I'll never forget. I've said this many times. I quoted it yesterday to somebody. I was sharing gospel with somebody yesterday. And in the 1950s, there was an international conference of the Bible. And they brought the greatest scholars in the world together for like 10 days to discuss theology. The omnipotence of God and the omnipresence of God and you know, all this stuff, eschatology, future things, and infralapsarianism versus supralapsarianism. And some of you know that word? <laughs> I tried hard to forget it. And at the end, they had a big Q&A, and there's all these guys on the platform. Think of it, Charles Stanley, Dave Hawking, John MacArthur, Andy Stanley, Andrew Farley, Tim Chalice, you know, all the world-renowned theologians. <laughs> And, and you get to pick their brain. And one guy raises his hand and asks Dr. Carl Bart, what's the greatest thought you ever had in your life? And he didn't bat an eye. He said, Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. And so because that's who he is, it's what he does. And I guess that's what we're going to talk a little bit about today is how he loves us. I, th I think um, we should pray. I think that's a good idea. I, I'm listening to Frank's intro, and I have no idea where it goes or where it's coming from sometimes. But when I listen to it and think about how profound it is, it's so simple. I think what we can do oftentimes is just run right past it, agree with it, because we, we know it to be true. And yet the idea that God loves us is the most transforming concept in all of humanity. And we cannot take it for granted. Jesus says, become like a little child. Um, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. To, to believe this is one thing. To, to think that there's anything else is maybe a wrong thing. Mm -hmm. And so let's pray. Would you join your heart with ours? Father, we are so blown away especially in this Advent season where we are purposefully reminded of your incredible love for us, that the gift of Christmas found in the person and work of Jesus Christ brings our hope. He is our peace. He is our joy. And supremely, he is our love. Because 
you are love. Father, we thank you that there is nothing that we can do, there is nothing that we could ever do or have ever done that would diminish or even be able to augment this love because this love is as full as it can be. We are devastated, we are changed, and we are grateful for your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Tim, uh, this is, for those of you who have never been here before, we don't sit together in each other's office and say, here, let's go here next and there next and work this all out. Basically, we sort of say, well, here's kind of an outline. Go have fun with the Holy Spirit. Go have fun with the Holy Spirit. And then we come together and say, what fun did you have? And here's what fun I had. And so we don't know where this is going uh, other than a basic outline. And we thought that we would talk about three aspects of how he loves us, what he has done to us or for us. Um, I have to look at the second one. What he has done in us or with us. And then what he wants to do through us because he wants to magnify his love. Yeah. So. God's love for us. I want to consider that for a second and think about John 3.16. I kind of prayed through that. But we know this passage. You learned this as a little kid if you grew up in church. If you didn't, this is probably the most well-known verse in all of Scripture. And I think it, it will be heightened when we understand its context. When we see back to this, this verse, it has a context. It is Jesus speaking to Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is the teacher of Israel, meaning he knows all the right points about God. He knows all the right institutions and all the right demands and the laws. And he's a teacher for all of Israel about God. And Jesus comes to him at, Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he comes at night, which we've jokingly referred to as Nick at night, because he's seen things from God, from Jesus, and he recognizes whatever Jesus is doing has to be of God, that no man can accomplish these things. And I, and I want to offer to you that what he has seen Jesus doing in terms of the miraculous is really boiled down to the obvious, because Jesus responds to him and says, for God so loved the whole world that he sent me, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life, that these miraculous things that Nicodemus is identifying has to be of God, Jesus defines them as love. The reason Jesus was doing miraculous things was not to wow people, was not to bring people to some awesome idea except to let people know God loves you. And I, I believe, and I, and I think this is how you opened, Frank, that when we talk about God's love, it can almost become something we feel like we've gotten used to. I mean, I'm amazed that you, your first seminary class was on the word is. It tells me what level you started at. But <laughs> I, when I think about that, I go, when the Bible says that God is love, that it's not a commodity for God, it's a person. When, when we think that we could diminish this, I'm trying to, trying to show my kids all the time, I mess things up. As a dad, I mess things up. I have a heart for them. I have a desire for them. But they also have a will. And sometimes when our wills intersect, there's a conflict. And I, as the imperfect parent, lose it. I know this has never happened for anybody else. But I can lose it. And then I come back quickly, hopefully, to remind them that my intention is love. Do, do you realize that God never loses it 
and has to remind us because he lost it. God is always confirming that he loves us. And the proof of it has nothing to do with what circumstance you find yourself in this morning. At Advent, we are purposefully reminded of God's love, but I hope you know that even in this season where there's to be joy and celebration and the reminder of this gift of Jesus, for many who have lost loved ones in this season or are going through very difficult times, this, this can be a harsh reminder of what they're missing out on. And yet, yet God's love is a constant. It's, it's a, in fact, in one of, this, one of the epistles, it says it's the law of love. It's a constant. It is never changing because he never changes. Meaning no circumstance you find yourself in can diminish God's love. No, no feeling you have is, is, is going to tell you exactly how much God loves you. You can't exhaust it on the good side of feeling good about it or when you feel like he's as absent as he's ever been. It's not true just based on how you feel. God's love is constant because he is. God is everywhere and he is love meaning you are confronted with the love of God moment by moment we need to take this by faith we oftentimes want to try to locate it in how we feel locate it in what's happening and God says locate it in me because he is love and I love how that passage in first John finishes because God is love it says he has first loved us and therefore we what we love him back your love is the response of his initiating love. And that's a beautiful picture of this circle, this circle of life where we love one another now, not with a, not with a manufactured, trumped-up effort, but with an outward expression of what's been placed in us as we simply love the way God loves now without condition. That's why Jesus can say things like love even your enemies because it's not the condition, it's not the context, it's the content. We love because he first loved us. And this is resident in us. This is, this is what I've been learning in my 21 years here at Grace Life Fellowship, that God's love has been placed inside of us. And it's because he, he so loves us that he gave his son to us. Yeah, I want to come back to that thought that you mentioned Tim, about the miracles. In the Gospel of John, which where Nicodemus is found, there's a fascinating insight, and that is that the word for miracle that the Holy Spirit chose is not dunamis. Now, if you hear the word dunamis, what do you instantly think of? Dynamite. We think of power. And how many of you know as human beings, we're into power? Man, we love power. Attract a crowd, have the heavyweight lifters, you know, and that attracts the crowd. We're into power. But he used a very different word, Samion. And what Samion means is sign. And so what he was saying is that the miracles were simply a sign that point to a greater reality. In other words, that word is saying, don't get enamored with the sign. How many of you had little kids? And I've used this illustration often when I travel. I might use it here a couple of times. And you're driving down the road, you're on vacation, and there it is, and the kids see it, the dreaded McDonald's sign. You know, you were hoping they wouldn't see it, but they did. Dad, can we? And of course, the guilt, everything kicks in. Yes. You know, which you really don't want to do. 
but you pull into McDonald's, you open up the car door. What would you think if your kids ran over to the sign and said, oh, the sign, the sign? You've got stupid kids who need some help. Um, <laughs> they're going to run into the restaurant. That's what those were all about. It wasn't the wow. It was look to the greater reality, the person of the wow. And you know, when you scour the New Testament, the reason Jesus did most of his miracles, it says it. He had compassion. And what is compassion? It's love in action. Love that has to do something for the beloved. And, and so this was so necessary because we had such a distorted view of God. You know, from the very beginning, what was the lie in the garden? In the day you eat, you shall be as God. So we look in the mirror and what do we do? We, well, God's like me. That's a frightening thought. And then Eve, she's representative of everybody else. God's like, that's even more frightening. <laughs> and then with the, the lost separation from God, man started making images of God of all kinds of things. And with the great distortions of God, you can't run into the arms of that God. That's, that's, Jesus didn't come just to forgive our sins. Heresy, I know. He came to have a relationship with us. And forgiving our sins was the way he could get it. And the relationship involves setting the record straight. Do you want to know what God is like? Look at me. I and the Father are one. I'm what God is like. I'm safe. You know, when I scour the Gospels, one of the, mo the most marveling things that jumps off the page at me, Tim, nobody was ever afraid to go into Jesus' presence. His enemies were not afraid to go into his presence. And the greatest sinner was not afraid to go into his presence. And, and that is, is just huge. He's it, safe. It's the love of God that makes him approachable. Yeah. If he's not loving, his power will, will scare you. If he's not loving, his presence will intimidate you. But if he's loving, and, and when you think about even in Christmas, what, what do we celebrate? We celebrate that he came to earth, not in the way, not with the dunamis, not the way we would have come to earth. How would you have come if you were God to, to reveal yourself to lost mankind? Right? We would have come in the power and the dunamis. This is, the, this is what Nicodemus is watching in terms of miracles, but they're not the power. It's the sign. And the, the definition is that we are loved. Mm -hmm. and, and, and Jesus comes, God comes back. His glory returns to the earth in the form of a, a little baby. Not, not the conquering king we expected or, or that Israel expected. That day is coming. But his kingdom came then because his kingdom is love. That's why the kingdom of God is at hand because God is love and love is present within us. And when you think about how he entered, planned, how he reintroduced himself to earth, it was in the approachability of a baby uh, saying, I'm approachable. My love is not intimidating. It's transforming. And I'm, I'm always being confronted with, with this idea. As I shared as a parent, when I mess things up, sometimes I use my power in the wrong way to try to conform somebody. God doesn't use 
his dunamis to conform you. He's used his love. 2 Corinthians 5 says, for Christ's love compels us. That's what transforms us. This is what transforms the, the unbelieving world is that, that they would know that God loves them. I think the greatest defense of the proof of God, the apologetics, that you know, people will say age of the earth and all this, these scientific issues I'm not studied in or smart enough to, to debate with, I, I, don't, I don't believe they're the greatest proof that God exists. I think the greatest proof that God exists is that everybody on this planet wants to be loved. Everybody, no matter what their background, no matter what their belief system, no matter what their religious upbringing, no matter what their socioeconomic status is, no matter their geography, everybody on this planet wants to be loved. That is universal. That screams, that screams for the, uh, the proof that there is a designer who is love. And he is the, the one who can meet the desire of every human being that will be honest that this is what I'm after is to be loved. God is love. And that's the transforming truth. And, and, and I love it that, you know, I didn't know that. Well, maybe I did. That, that the word was, was signs. You want a sign? Start looking for how much God loves you through and in everything. Because he can use anything to show it to you. Even those things that we find difficult at times, God can use those things for God causes all things to work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. He will use even those things to show you, I love you. I love you in this moment. You need to know that. The circumstance has not changed that. Your feelings, your thoughts, your, your emotions have not changed that I love you because his love is unconditioned. You cannot condition it on anything other than who he is. God is love. Powerful. You know, I was listening to you how love transforms. Um, when I was in seminary, I read a book called A Song for Lovers. It was a commentary by a guy named Craig Glickman. And uh, it's on the Song of Solomon. And uh, one of the things he shared in there he said, it was really amazing as a young man growing up. He said, you know, you'd say goodbye to your friends in the May and you'd have the summer and you'd come back and, and there would be this girl on campus. And all of us in the girl watcher brigade would get to see her and go, who's that? And then one of the guys would say, oh, that's Mary Jones. And we'd all go, that can't be Mary Jones. And he said, what would have happened is over the summer, she fell in love. And it transformed who she was. And he says, if we'd have known that, we'd have loved her first, you know. <laughs> but I want you to think about if that happens on a human scale, how much greater on the divine scale that the love of God would transform us. And one of the things I think that's fascinating in this discussion is the idea of a synonym. I think it really helps to use different words to try to say the same thing to help our minds apprehend concept. And I think one of the synonyms I would give to love is the word acceptance. Um, Bob George wrote a book years ago and he shared his own story with his son. 
He was coming to understand the grace of God and the love of God. And it was radically altering his life. And he was instantly confronted with, oh, goodness, I raised my kids in such a religious way. And the performance and the bondage that kept God distant. And so he says, I sat my oldest son down and I I wanted to, to reach him with what I was learning. And I said, son, do you know I love you? And his son said, well, of course, dad. You don't understand what I'm saying. Son, do you know I love you? And the son goes, yeah, dad. You love me. I know that. And I said, no, you don't understand what I'm saying. So he said, I kind of reached across the table and grabbed his shoulders. And I said, son. And there's desperation. He says, do you know that I love you? And the son goes, yeah, dad, I know you love me. And Bob goes, no, you're not hearing me. And then the thought came to his mind. And he said, son, do you know that I accept you? And the son said, no, dad, that I don't know. And that sparked that great conversation of either expressed expectations implied expectations how about the flip side of it perceived expectations y'all know about that (laughs) that were hindering intimacy between his father and his son and again we need to take that to god you know in second corinthians it's one of the most glorious passages i know in the bible he has made us acceptable. It's finished. And nothing we do is ever going to take that away. He accepts us, which is the the visible demonstration of the love that he has for us. And it's over. And it's really hard for us to come to grips with, but it's true. So I've always described love and acceptance as two sides of the same coin. You think about love without acceptance, and love will remain, will remain obligatory and distant. You know what I mean? Like, like oh, your parents have to love you. With, without acceptance, and, and I will just say acceptance in the most simple form is approval. Mm-hmm. That, that God doesn't just love you, he approves of you. Just consider that for a second. Let that, let that navigate its way through your emotions and through your history and through your circumstances, through your failures and, and, and inadequacies and all of that, let, let the idea that God approves of you enter into that. Well, like if you ask most people, most believers, do you know God loves you? I think from a Sunday school answer or a, a just a theological, of course, I, I know God loves me. I would have said the same about my own parents. I knew they loved me, but I knew my, my parents, my mom specifically, approved of me when. You know what I mean? For me growing up, it was practice the violin. She was a musician. She came from a family of them. She wanted me to play music. And man, if I ever wanted to spend the night at Jimmy's house or get a certain toy or eat, pick a certain meal, all I had to do was practice and mom would say yes. So I knew mom approved of me when I practiced violin. She would tell you, of of course, that's not, and I know that's not true, but that's what I felt. 
that when I performed well, she approved of me. I always knew she loved me. When we enter into our relationship with God with this dichotomy, when we separate love and acceptance and, and, realize, and don't realize that when God says he loves you, that it means he approves of you also, then we can, we can keep God's love distant and obligatory. Oh, well, God has to love everybody. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever thrown yourself in the group of the sea of humanity and let that, in some sense, diminish God's idea of loving you personally? Well, he loves everybody, so I'm not special. God loves you, and he approves of you. And, and if, you want, if you want proof of that, listen to what he said about his only begotten. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. If you're a son or daughter of God, he is well pleased with you. Man, I would, have, I would have been okay with God just being okay with me, I think, at times. The Bible says that he is well pleased with you at all times because of Jesus. Where are you going to get an offer like that on this planet? When we talk about God is love and it includes his acceptance, his approval of you, it means he likes you. It means he likes you. I don't know that there's anything more powerful than that, to think that, that God likes us. That, that if, if we were sitting alone somewhere, God would come and he'd sit down next to us, not because he has to, not because he does that for everybody. He would do that because he likes to. He, he decided that he wants to be with you. That, that's mind-boggling. I, I struggle with that. I struggle with that idea. I, I know I can teach God loves me. I have verses for it that he approves of me really fights against the idea that I don't always approve of myself. And it's based through the lens of something I don't see as clearly as God. I don't see the whole picture. I have to take it by faith. Oh God, you approve of me even though I did that, even though I said this, even though I thought that, you approve of me anyway. And he goes, did you think what you think, say, or do can change what I think about you. It is firmly rooted and established in this unchanging, unaltering relationship with the one who is love. I, I can't get over it. I don't know what else to say about it except that it's, it's mind-boggling to consider that God approves of us. Right where you sit, right where you are, no matter what circumstance you find yourself in, can you consider that God's stamp of approval is on your heart? He loves you, he approves of you, and he likes you. And he's going to spend the rest of your days on this planet showing you off to the world. That's what he's doing. That's the God that he is. That's cool. Maybe a little homework assignment before we move on. Tonight before your head hits the pillow, look in the mirror and put it in first person. For God so loved Frank that he sent his only begotten son. So you can all pray God so loved Frank to no. <laughs> I believe with all my heart, if you were the only person on the face of the planet, he'd come and died for you. That's how great his love is. Look in that mirror and say, I am God's favorite. We're all his favorites. <laughs> and God is proud of me. That's so cool. Now, you said he likes us. Well, if you like somebody, you spend time with them. So you had a second point on that outline, that he's with us. 
Yeah, Emmanuel. Yeah. Right? That's what we celebrate in this season. That God so, so, so use the word, that God so loved the world, yes, that he sent his son, but God so liked you that he wants to be with you. I mean, consider that for a second. He, he likes who you are. He likes this relationship with you. He desires to spend time with you. Jesus coming to planet earth at Christmas is proof that God didn't abandon us based on our weakest, most vulnerable, even to most evil moment of a choice. That God said, there's nothing you could do to change my dedication and commitment to you. This Christian life is not about mustering up how dedicated we can be for God. This Christian life is coming to realize more and more how dedicated he is to us. That he would leave the glories of heaven to come be with us. He would leave the convenience and the glory and the comfort of the heavenly places to come and become subject to that which he created and say, I'm doing this so that I can empathize and sympathize with you in this world. So that God can say supremely, Christianity offers a God that relates, and it's the only belief system, it's the only reality that does that, because Jesus became man and dwelt among us, and he experienced everything on this planet that you experience. Every temptation you've ever experienced, Jesus experienced first. Think about that. When we are tempted to go live to get love rather than living from being loved, Jesus was tempted that same way. He was pulled in that direction. He was pulled in the direction of, of, of attaining love rather than receiving love. He was pulled in the same directions that you have been pulled in, of course, without sin, but he gets it. He knows how hard it is. He knows what it looks like in this world. He knows what you face. Not from a distant throne, but from, being dwell, but from dwelling among us. He gets it. So when he says the things that he says, he says them with the reality of understanding. The compassion is that God understands. I think that word in the Greek means he was wrenched at the gut. Yes. That, that, that Jesus was, was torn in the innermost for us because he experienced the same. The fact that he is with us is proof of how much he loves us. He's not shouting it from the heavens and declaring it. For God so loved the world, he did something about it. He gave his only son. And we know that that gift would not lead to everything that we thought it should lead to first. It was going to lead to this incredible sacrifice called death. That God so wanted to identify and be with you that he would risk and then even endure death. Think about that. That's how sacrificial this love is. And he's with us, which is a glorious truth, right? Can you imagine being present on planet earth back then 2,000 years ago? The Shekinah glory had left the temple 400 years before. It's called the silent years in the scriptures. And now God's glory is going to return, but in a totally different way than was expected. It's going to return and dwell among us and grow up among us and live among us and tabernacle with us. And Jesus is going to mature. And it says, learn obedience through things that he suffered. He's going to walk this planet just like you have to walk this planet so that he can identify with you, so that he can put your arm around you and go, I understand, Peter, when Peter failed at denying Christ, that Jesus can put his arm around Peter and goes, I know, 
I know what it feels like to be tempted like that. I love you. Do you love me? Can you receive this? I just, I find it amazing that God would want to relate to us that way. That he, he'd, sometimes, sometimes in my love for my kids, I need to get away from them. <laughs> right? Sorry. They, they will agree in their, in their love and pres- preserving that love for me. They want to get away from me. I have counseling appointments open this week, Catherine, <laughs> if you'd like to bring them in. But in God's love, yeah. it's just the opposite. He never wants to get away from you. He never wants to be apart from you. That, there's, there's no other relationship like that. None. This is so huge. Again, it comes back to what you said at first. It's something we say so often, it sometimes can lose its impact. First, think of 1 Corinthians, I want to give you quick rapid fire thoughts. 1 Corinthians six seventeen. he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Brothers, you can't get away from him. That's what Psalm 139 is all about. Try to run away from God. He's running with you. Remember Jonah tried to run away? God went with him. He's never going to leave you. Now think about that. If he's never going to leave you, if he's in union with you, and he is love, what does that say? It means you're love 24-7, 365. That's why the church has got to renew its mind. Stop thinking the old way of thinking. Don't ever call this a sanctuary. This is an auditorium. This is the sanctuary. This is where God lives. I brag about this church when I go elsewhere. One of the stories I love to tell is when I went into the children's church one day when somebody, we had a guest speaker and I had some time off. And I went into the kindergarten class and the teacher said, hey, it's Pastor Frank. And I said, hey guys, what you doing? He said, we're drawing pictures of God's house. I said, can I see them? Yeah. So I went over, two thirds of those kids were drawing self-portraits. You know how big that is? We got adults thinking this is God's house. We're getting them early. Now, two, one third of those kids were drawing a building. We haven't got them yet. <laughs> but that is so cool. This is God's address. I remember when I first got here, I wanted to put a playground. And this place was so legalistic. I, I, I don't know why I ever, they ever called me here. It was, it was crazy. I said, don't call me here unless you mean business with God and you're willing to go wherever God wants you to go. Oh, we're in it. And they lied. But God loves them. But God loves them. I don't know if I did. Well, I loved them, but I didn't like them. You're not God. Okay. <laughs> but I wanted a playground. And I went to the others and said, I want a playground. And I said, what do we need a playground for? This is church. I said, because I don't want dichotomous lifestyle in these kids. I don't want them out in the playground God made for them called the world and then have them come into church on Sunday morning like this with a dichotomous behavior. I want them to come to church and have fun too. And I'll never forget it. The most legalistic elder of the bunch slammed the table and said, no fun in church. (laughs) It's a 24-7 with us. You know, I built playgrounds for my kids. That's That's what... Bads do. And then you get on the playground with the kids. He's with us. He wants to share every part of life with us. He wants to laugh when we laugh. He'll weep when we weep. I found an amazing insight this week, Tim. I've never seen it. You have Bibles like that where you see new things? 
One of the things that God says throughout this book, and I know it's a big deal for you because we've shared, fear. And one of the things that says in 1 John 4 is perfect love, what? Cast out fear. I didn't know this before, but an author did some work. He said there are 365 references in the Bible, fear not. Four, I'm with you. That hit me. How many references? Huh, how many, how many days in our calendar? You get it? Every day of our lives, God is saying, I'm with you, don't fear. I'm with you, don't fear. I'm with you, don't fear. Isn't that cool? And you, and you got to tie Isaiah into that. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold you up by my right hand. Cool. Nice. That other passage in Isaiah, when it talks about Emmanuel, God with us, Isaiah 9, and it says he will be called. Uh, th- these are his names. These are how you can identify him. This is how you'll know what, he, what he's doing. He will be called wonderful. Think, think, of, think about God with us is wonderful. He, he will be called counselor. When Jesus in John 16 said, the Holy Spirit's coming. I'm going away, but the Holy Spirit's coming. Another just like me is going to be sent to you. And he will bring to your memory everything that I've said to you. And it, it said that, that that name, he would be called comforter. The counsel of God within you by his spirit is that he's a comforter. We think only that he's a convictor. If you want to be convicted by God through the Holy Spirit, be convicted that he's comforting you. At the moment of your sin, your weakest point, God's conviction is that he will comfort you. He will remind you not just of the sin. He's already done away with that. He will remind you of what he has done in you to remove the sin and keep you on the righteous path. He will remind you that you're his child. He will be called mighty God, it says in Isaiah. His power will be known. He will be called eternal father. This power that will be known by being the wonderful counselor will be for all eternity. It says the government will be on his shoulders. This is the Jesus that was given to be among us that would transform us. This is the love that is resident within us that God is all the time telling us the same thing over and over and over and over. I've said to many people, I said, you know, in 21 years of ministry, Frank's been here almost 30. You know, he gets accused of saying the same things from different passages. You know, Paul was accused of writing the same things, but he says it's, it's a safeguard to say the same things over and over to you because it's for, it's good. We don't always need instructing so much. We need reminding. The Holy Spirit lives in you to remind you every day I'm with you. I've got this. Romans 8 says that he testifies within us that we are God's children, that we are that intimately connected to God. This is is God's job daily in your life, to continue to confirm to you how much he loves you, how present he is within you who you are to him, how approved he is of you. And when we teach this message, there's, there's other emphasis out there in Christianity. I'm not saying that these things don't exist. I'm saying when these things are emphasized over and against the love of God that we are talking about, I believe we, we can disfigure the face of God. Certainly there is God's wrath and justice, but, but you know that verse in 1 John that you quoted, 
Perfect love casts out fear. It says because within fear, there's the, the idea of punishment. Hear what this says, that God loves you and his perfect love for you casts out fear of any punishment to you. How much of our pseudo-righteous behavior has been motivated by the fear of punishment if we didn't? As though God is, is convicting us all the time. Be careful now. Watch the misstep. Now, you know what's going to happen if you go that route. Like, God's watching you. Have you ever heard that phrase? God's watching. What did it mean to you? Did it instill fear or joy? He's got a list. He's checking it twice. He's going to find out who's naughty, who's nice. That is not what God is doing. That is not what God is doing. He has a list, and it says your name's in it, and he says, I will never blot it out. I will never remove it. He's made you nice. He's made you good, and God is now living within you to remind you all the time. And, and I've, I've worked with Frank long enough to know the, the reality of our emotions at any moment. We don't always feel this stuff. In fact, I would say we rarely feel this stuff. How can you feel that? What would you limit it to? God, God is not motivating you by fear. God's motivation is his life and love. And, and it does not diminish, it does not diminish that God's righteous character will be seen even through judgment. But until that day, the judgment is been placed, has been placed on his son on your behalf so that you would then simply receive the grace and mercy that are consistent with his love. That's how much he loves you. Jesse, would you and your team come out? We're going to share the Lord's table. I, I want to, we didn't get to through you as much as we wanted to. Let me just throw this at you. Um, you know, the love from God is a wonderful thing, but it then goes on, it says, beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. And I want to tie that into a gospel passage from Jesus. Jesus made a statement that's radical. He said, greater works will you do than what I did. Now, the religious mind instantly goes to dunamis. We're gonna heal people? We're gonna raise the dead? That's dunamis. That's the emphasis on the power. The Simeon, the greater works. He was one person loving. Now there is a multitude of lovers. Amen. I believe that's the greater works. I had a guy this week talking with me out in the community, and he said, are you a full gospel church? And he, of course, meant speaking in tongues and healings and visions and signs. And I said, brother, a lot more full than you know. <laughs> and we went on to talk about a greater reality than the power of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, the life of God in us manifested through us, love. And I would just leave you with Psalm 126. The Lord has done great things. Glad, really, really glad. 
So that does it for today's episode and for the Christmas series. We'll be back again soon as Pastor Frank starts off the new year with a new series on Nehemiah. We'll see you soon.